Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Greetings, Hellions. We had an absolutely great conversation with Michelle Icard, but because of the nature of the topics in her books, some of the things we get into are a little bit more adult, so you might not want to listen to this one with little ears around. Enjoy the interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Michelle Eichard. She's a member of the Today Show's parenting team. She's the author of Middle School Makeover. Her leadership curriculum for middle schoolers has been implemented at schools across the U.S., and her summer camp curriculum is offered at more than 20 camps each summer. Michelle lives with her family in Charlotte, North Carolina. Her new book is 14 Talks by Age 14, The Essential Conversations You Need to Have with Your Kids Before They Start High School. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, we need you. I especially need you because I loved this book. My kids are 8, 10, and 12, and so I am like just... My ski tips are like going right out over the edge of the precipice and I'm about to start downhilling here. And I wrote this down right from the beginning. You say these are difficult conversations because your kids are beginning the normal and necessary work of pulling away. And I'm just seeing that in my own kids. It's a good mantra for me. This is normal and necessary, normal and necessary as they're going from my sweet little munchkins who just want to be like cuddled on my lap and telling me how pretty I am to real life human beings who think I'm dumb a lot of the time. Right. (laughs) It sounds like a very simple perspective shift, but just doing that, just saying, oh, this is part of the end game. I do want them to be independent and I want them to live outside of my house someday. So that's got to start pretty early. It just doesn't happen automatically when they're 18. But yet there's something about these years, like there is a window that you see. You said that there's a sort of an emotional readiness of these years that makes it the perfect time to have difficult conversations, even if you're getting kind of the cold shoulder from them all of a sudden. So what is that about this age group? Right. So how do we pair their insistence on separating with our need to get them some foundational information to keep them safe when they do leave us? Yeah. And I think that the key is, first of all, with this age group, you know, one day they're 18 in their minds and the next they're six, you know, they're putting on eyeliner and sneaking out of the house or they're asking if they can sleep in your bed, right? (laughs) So they are still little kids at heart, even though they're yearning to be older. 
So that's kind of a sweet spot. They don't have a lot of independence without you quite yet. So they're not walking out the door car keys in hand. So they're still kind of captive audiences. But mostly it's this idea that they do still like you, even though they're starting to pull away and they're sending you some signals that you're not cool. They do still want to hear what you have to say and they're open to advice. So kind of 11 to 14 is really a sweet pocket for communication. Right, because they're still willing to talk to you. But they're seeing, you're all seeing the future together a little bit. You're not, sometimes I feel like with my eight-year-old, some of the stuff was like, wait, what? She's not seeing it yet down her own road. And so it is that point where they can see it and, but they're not so in it that they're just like, oh, the ship has sailed. That's exactly right. And they and they're curious about it. They see it and they want to know more. And so the book is really about how to position yourself so that they trust what you have to say and they know that you won't freak out and you can be someone they come to to ask questions about these things or seek guidance. Can we start at the beginning, as you do in the book, talking about how to have this conversation? And again, I made a lot of notes while reading this book because as I said, this is my life right now. But this idea of like how we talk and what some of the pitfalls for us on talking for myself, I would say parents turn up the volume in a response is something that I'm struggling right now with. Like, perhaps if I scream this constantly in your face, it will be better than if I just try to express it to you. Right. I use the analogy that you're really like a tourist in their world right now. And we've all had that experience where if you haven't had it yourself, you've probably seen it portrayed on TV, where someone is a non-native language speaker. And so what they do is they talk really, really loudly, and they might add an inflection that sort of sounds like the accent to them. And I feel like that's what we do. So we want our kid to pay attention and engage with us. And it starts with a simple request, hey, time to turn off the iPad. And it becomes, I said, turn off the iPad, you know, longer, louder, bigger, but it's not better communication. So tell us what are some of the phrases that you might suggest that would invite connection with kids this age? Sure. So kids this age really are proud of their burgeoning autonomy. They like to be seen as equals with you. They want to sort of spar intellectually. So asking questions is really the best thing you can do to engage your kid. And if you see that your kid is struggling or they're having difficulty with something, or maybe they're just a bundle of emotions and you don't know why or exactly what to say, asking gentle questions is a great way to start. So you might say things like, how can I support you? Or what do you need to be successful with this? Or would you like me to talk with you about some options? So if you can just sort of, you're becoming the assistant manager instead of the micromanagers. I love this expression because it's exactly right. You're the assistant manager. Right. We have this idea that we want to clamp down and keep them safe. So we need to micromanage, but that backfires. Tell us about the, I love this manager metaphor too, that the prefrontal cortex is the manager for these kids, but why that's problematic. Right. So eventually the prefrontal cortex, it's all of our managers. It's the part of our brain that really does critical thinking well. It's good in analysis. It's thoughtful. It's a great problem solver. But starting at about age 11, your kid's prefrontal cortex essentially goes into redesign mode. I tell oh, kids no. it takes a big lunch break. It's like the manager <laughs> of the store. It goes to the back to eat a sub. It's going to be gone for, <laughs> shockingly, a, about a 10-year lunch break. <laughs> so 
That means that kids then need a good assistant manager while the manager is not on duty. And that's a great role for parents. So what I encourage parents to do is to think about the worst boss they ever had and what made that boss so hard to work for. And often parents will say things like, oh, they were inconsistent. They were highly emotional. They didn't let me solve my own problems. They took ownership for things I did. So if you take all of those things about a terrible boss and you flip it, you've got a pretty good job description for being a parent of a middle schooler. That hit me in all the feels thinking about my worst bosses and how my kids might apply some of those same adjectives to me for sure. Right. For sure. Because to be fair to ourselves, we are extremely emotionally connected to them being safe, to them being successful. And so, you know, it's natural that we want to control their outcomes. And we've had several years of being very in charge of controlling their outcomes. So yes, while I recognize all the bad boss stuff in myself, it's not you know, coming out of nowhere. And it's not coming out because I'm a fundamentally bad person who wants to, you know, lord over my kids. That's right. I'm so glad you said that. It's a transition that I think we have to make healthily, but like it's there for a reason. The intention is pure and the intention is right. It's just that kids this age are going through such a cool and weird developmental phase. If we don't shift how we approach those intentions, they do sometimes end up backfiring. And what is it about age 14 that is sort of an expiration date in your head? Is it something changes in their brain after that? Is it that they're experiencing most of the things we were supposed to warn them about already after that? What is it about age 14 that's sort of a important turning point? I think that 14 is typically freshman year. So anecdotally, I think we can all imagine that, you know, you're the youngest kid in the school. So you're suddenly exposed to kids who can drive and kids who are drinking and kids who are having sex and like all the stuff that happens in high school. It's happening on your territory all of a sudden. So I wanted to have parents set a pretty good foundation before kids are thrown into the deeper end of the pool there. And also statistically, there's been research that shows that age 14 is the most dangerous year of a boy's life. They haven't done this research on girls, but it is the biggest year for taking risks in a young man's life. So I wanted parents to have an opportunity to talk about what kinds of behaviors will come up in high school, what kinds of things they might experience, and how to think through some of those things before they're impulsively just reacting to it. I've never heard that before. That's a really interesting thought, 14 being the most dangerous year for boys. It makes sense, but I've never heard it before. Right. Let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about your sort of model for having these conversations that you present in the book. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. 
Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to seeing optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. So, Michelle, in your book, 14 Talks to Have by Age 14, you introduce the brief model for having whatever conversation it is we need to have. Can you walk us through that model? Sure. So BRIEF is an acronym. Each letter stands for a step in the process of how to have better talks with your kids at this age. I also just like that it spells out BRIEF because I think no kid at this age wants to have a really long conversation about these topics. (laughs) And I hope that parents will have multiple short conversations. I think that's a lot more effective. But the acronym B is the beginning and it stands for begin peacefully. And the reason for that is most parents will tell me when I say, what's the hardest part of starting a conversation with your kid about, you know, sex or drugs or relationships or any of these sort of big thorny topics? And they all say it's getting started. Yeah. I'm so afraid if I just bring up the subject, they're going to roll their eyes and storm out of the room. Right. So instead of diving into the deep end, I'm encouraging parents to start really peacefully, begin peacefully. And that can sound like scheduling a time to talk so the kid doesn't feel ambushed. Like, hey, I know grades just came out. Let's touch base on that later. Do you want to do it after dinner or do you want to do it in the morning before school? So giving them some choices there. Or it can be just a casual, gentle curiosity about a subject. So if, for example, you want to talk to your middle schooler about vaping, be begin peacefully might sound like, hey, I'm hearing a lot about vaping. Are you hearing about it too? Do you think it's as big a deal as people are saying? So it's not, hey, do you vape? Which of your friends vape? Can you give me a list of the names of your friends who've tried vaping? Right. (laughs) Right. Because to be clear, none of us want to talk to our children about vaping, but we feel compelled to do so. It's not fun. That's right. (laughs) But yes, it's like finding some sort of on-ramp into it makes a big difference. Yes. So then you B, you've begun, and then R is relate. And that can be just a really quick way of showing, hey, we're on the same team here. I'm not out to catch you. You're not in trouble. I'm not suspicious. So relating might sound like, yeah, you know, we just didn't have this when I was your age. I mean, all the commercials were about smoking or not smoking. So just a way to show I'm not going after anything here. I is interview for data. And what I mean by that is this is your chance to ask questions. Again, you don't want to come across like you're trying to catch your kid. It's just a very open, neutral, 
chance to ask some things that you might be curious about or to understand what they know about the subject. So you might say, what have you heard about vaping? Do you understand the health risks? Do you think it's happening a lot? Or do you think parents are kind of going overboard on this? So you're just, I tell parents, pretend you're a DA on the case and you have absolutely zero interest in the case. So you're just sort of casually trying to get some details. My parents had a hilarious version of this that I still remember that they would always approach any question around a difficult subject with a percentage availability. So they'd be like, what percentage of kids are vaping at school? It wasn't vaping. It was smoking or whatever it was back in the day. And it was like we had this kind of tacit agreement that if I said like, oh, zero, I don't know anyone who's doing that. It was like, okay, that's not a problem. But if I said 95%, we had to talk about it more. Right. Like we had worked out this like weird little communication system. Did you lie or was it like this is an ironclad answer? I must answer. Oh, no, it was definitely like a funny little dance. Where, and it was like, if it was uh-huh. 95, I was also <laughs> doing it, basically. And if it was 50, I wasn't doing it. Like, we had a whole thing going on. I love that. That I didn't even realize until after I graduated from high school, because it's like, oh, you could be like a oh, 50%. That means I'm not doing it. But if I said 95, I'm like, wink, wink. I'm having a cigarette every once in a while. <laughs> you know, what's cool about that approach is that it really does take the emotion out of it. It's like, this is merely scientific data we're discussing, you know? And let's chat about what other people are doing. But really, we know what's really going on here. Your parents were smart. I like that. Okay, so E. So B-R-I-E. E stands for echo. And if you've seen a therapist or you've seen a therapist on TV, you know how this works. It's the part where you say, oh, it sounds like you're saying. And it's a way for you to affirm that you're listening and also really to check for clarity and comprehension. Because so many times when we're talking with our middle schoolers, we draw assumptions, we misunderstand the vocabulary we're using. So this is a chance for you to say like, okay, it sounds like you're saying, yeah, some kids are doing it, but maybe not as many as parents are worried about. And I think it's important to give kids that opportunity to goof on parents, you know, that like, it gives them a little bit of that opportunity to say like, oh, this is something parents really overreact, whatever it is, so that it's not only unidirectional, the conversation. That is great. I love that you said that. Because yes, again, that's kind of part of recognizing their authority on the subject, which is really important to them. Yes. And then F. This is F. This is the step that you've been waiting for. This is where you get to get (laughs) feedback. And this is where most parents begin the conversation. And that's why they've had bad experiences trying to talk with their tweens or teens about these tough topics, because they start with feedback and they really haven't earned the opportunity to give it. I mean, there's the sense of like, well, I earned it by being their parent, but the kid's probably just going to shut down and close off if you begin with hey, don't ever vape. It's terrible for you. Did you hear me? Was I clear about that? Right? That doesn't work. So F is where you get to give feedback. You've kind of earned their trust. You've shown that you appreciate what they have to say about the subject. So here's where you get to either give some gentle advice, or if you know your kid has a real problem where you get to put in some expectations and restrictions, but this is the spot where it happens, not at the beginning. And it occurs to me listening to this, like the sort of structure around the conversation is also reassuring to the kid, even if they're like, oh, mom's a little hokey. Like now we're going to, she's going to ask me if we can make a time to talk about this. But then they know that it has a beginning, middle and an end. There's probably something reassuring and safe about that that makes it more likely to go well. That's right. And the fact that, you know, you keep it short, I hope, 
also helps. Your kid is will begin to expect from these conversations that, like you said, you kind of get in and get out, and that's great. I loved what you said. There's a talk about sexuality. That's one of the chapters in the book. And pornography, of course, is a topic. And you know that's like a major one that all of us are like, I guess I'm supposed to talk about that. But how the heck am I supposed to bring that up casually in conversation? And you suggest in the book actually saying something like, I know you don't want to talk about this with me, especially. So we're going to keep this really short, actually taking the bull by the horns of an extremely difficult conversation like that. And I honestly hadn't really considered doing that before. And that I think is one example where I say you don't really need to go through all the steps. That is such an awkward conversation for a kid to have that you don't need to interview them. (laughs) They're going to run away by eye if you do every step on pornography. You're not going to relate. You're going to skip relating on that particular topic. Yeah, (laughs) that's great advice. Yes. (laughs) But right, sometimes you can be really transparent and your kid will uh, respect you for that. And then there's a way, how do you sort of exit these chats? Like, when I have these conversations with my kids, sometimes they do go well and we have a real chat. But you know when like you hang up on Zoom, but like everybody's still there and there's that awkward like get me out of this conversation yes. <laughs> moment, except with your kid in the same room. How do you sort of suggest that we exit these chats gracefully so that, you know, the door stays open, but the hard part's over? You want to get really good at the pivot here at the end. And so have a couple ideas in your back pocket that you can use at any time. And it might sound like, you know, you've given your feedback and then you say, all right, well, good. I'm glad we talked about this. I need to go to Target. Do you want to come or is there anything you want me to pick up for you? Or, okay, cool. That's all I wanted to say. If you want to come back and chat about it at any time, I'm wide open. But right now I'm definitely hitting the couch and watching TV. Do you want to watch the show? So just have a way of like quickly signaling to them. It's not going to stay weird. We are shifting gears right now. (laughs) And I think another thing you talk about that is a huge part of this, and this is what I find for myself, is that these are ongoing conversations. This is not a one and done conversation. So it saves you from that moment at the end where you're like, do you understand? Never text a naked picture of yourself to anyone. It lives forever. Like you feel this need that you have to scream at them. Like, are we sure we understand why this is really, really bad? We're going to come back to this conversation. So it's okay to go to Target right now because this isn't one and done. Yes, of course, your child really does understand that bad things can happen if they send a nude pic, right? Kids are very good at understanding the consequence of risk. We think they're not, but they really do understand that. What they do differently from adults is they overvalue social reward. So they think, yeah, things could go wrong if I take this dare and I jump off of the garage, right? Because my friends are daring me to do that. Or if I send someone a picture of myself topless, whatever it might be, they know, they've heard the stories, they read the news, they get it. So they get that the risk is dangerous. What they think differently than us is, if it goes well, it will be epic. Like, if I make this jump and I don't break my leg, people will talk about this for years to come. This is so cool. And they really want to be perceived as cool by their peers because they're doing that thing we talked about where they're separating from you. Or worse, if I don't do it, I'll look like a prude. I'll look like a coward. Can't show my face. Yeah. That's exactly right. So they get that. And to your point earlier, which I loved, you can get in and out quickly because you're not trying to convince them that 
or to make them understand that this is a bad idea. You just want them to know you are a really safe person to come to should something go wrong, right? You want them to have a good enough understanding, but you also know they're human beings and they're at a phase of life where they're prone to make more mistakes. So hopefully they will come to you and talk to you if something goes badly. And if something goes badly, when I started the book, I had sort of different expectations than when I read it in terms of like, oh, these are problem solver conversations. And of course, unfortunately, you don't have a magic key to unlock nothing bad happening to our teenagers. That's really not the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book is to say, here's how have these conversations. Let me help you have these conversations. But you're never one conversation away from your children not doing dumb things as teenagers. That's not even the point. That's perfect. That's exactly right. It's about building a relationship so you can support them if that does happen. Let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk about some of the talks that you suggest we have with our kids. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used hero bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. So Margaret was saying before the break that this book surprised her and that it wasn't a sort of means to an end. Here are the 14 conversations you need to have about these 14 topics, right? I expected it to be about you can't drink, no new pictures in your phone, you know, just all the things we were saying before. But instead, your chapters are about things that are more like friendships 
or creativity, which really surprised me. And why did you, I mean, I think it's a wonderful resource for kids this age, but why did you structure the book that way? I, uh, two reasons. One, I wanted to keep it you know, it couldn't be an encyclopedia with uh, 30 volumes, and there are far too many things we need to talk to our kids about for me to make each chapter about one of those things. So what I did is I set up like a murder board <laughs> on my wall of index cards with everything you could ever talk to your kid about that would be really important. And it was massive. I mean, I didn't have red string going between them, but sort of that is the visual. And then I looked at it, it was overwhelming. And I thought, I've really got to lump some of these things together. So I started to look for trends and things that looked like they would fit together. And that's how I came up with the 14 topics. So like you said, there's one on creativity because parents really worry about creativity going away when their kid is in middle school. Like they just spend all their time staring at screens and they used to make me macaroni necklaces or do art or whatever. So I looked for all of those things and then I bundled them under bigger umbrellas. But you can still go to the index and you can find those little things. You can find pornography, you find vape, you find, you know, all the little things that you're concerned about. It's just I themed it. <laughs> Well, and I think it underscores what the book is really about, because as I was saying, I would have expected to open up and the 14 conversations are like porn, sex, vaping, cigarettes, alcohol, drugs. You know, these are the kind of things we sometimes think like this is what we have to talk to our preteens about before they become teenagers. But it's a book about talking to our kids as their whole selves, which is really much more useful. You're not going to have access to talk to them about porn if you're not talking to them about other things that are important to them. Yes, I love that. That's exactly right. It's sort of a whole human approach to your relationship with them. Yeah, of course, you look for problems because that's what you think your role is. But it's good to fight that instinct with kids where you're only like, here he goes again, here's the problem, oh no. And like one of the kids then becomes more of a problem and you've got to deal with those problems. And it's just so easy at this age, I think, to lose connection. That's right. In search of problems. Yeah, and that's really kind of the biggest problem. You don't want to look back, you know, your kid leaves to go to college or to go into the workforce, whatever it may be when they're 18. And you're like, well, gosh, I hardly knew you, you know? So that's the biggest problem I'd like to solve is I'd like you to really know your kid and for your kid, conversely, to really know you. There's a chapter about that, sort of how does your relationship start to change once they're in middle school? What I loved about this book is that, you know, you do go into depth on how to have difficult conversations around topics, but it's backed up with your sort of wealth of knowledge about this age group and why they're so fraught. Like the chapter on friendships, to go back to that, I have a daughter in seventh grade and she's my youngest. So I've had two seventh graders before. Friendships just get, right? They get thrown up in the air. The deck of cards just gets thrown up in the air and reshuffled at this age. But sort of, and supporting my kid through that is important, but why that's happening, you explain that. Can you talk about the gear board? I thought that was such an interesting metaphor for this age group. Sure. So what happens, which I've mentioned before, is this idea that your kid is driven to pull apart from you, right? I say that kids need to build three things to become an adult. And those are an adult body, an adult brain, and an adult identity. And the identity piece is the part that really impacts their friendships. So 
What an adult identity means is it's an identity apart from parents. So they push you away. And when they do that, they realize, boy, I'm kind of out here on my own. I better find a tribe. So peers become incredibly important to them. So around, you know, sixth grade, seventh grade, I imagine kids as though they are gears on a board and they are all spinning at different rates of speed and they're desperate to click in and start moving together really well but they mostly are just worrying and bouncing off of each other and it's not often that you get a real perfect fit in middle school friendship wise and in fact only one percent of friendships that are made in seventh grade will last through high school almost all middle school friendships break up and it's incredibly painful It almost feels like a romantic loss when it happens, even when it's just a friendship. So I just hope that parents will kind of normalize that for their kids. I think that's the most important thing we can do. I think there's an aspect. I was on another podcast talking about progressive education and the woman who ran a progressive ed school was talking about how their perspective is the kids are the experts. So if they talk about nature, they start with the question, what do you know? You know, what do you know about nature? And it's rather than coming in as the expert, it's kind of doing an archaeology of the kids and what they know. And it reminded me of some of the advice in this book that trying to kind of mine information and reflect that back to your kids versus coming in as like, let me tell you a thing or two about why that kid is, you know, not good, not the right one for you, whatever. That's beautiful. Starting with that question, what do you know, is great. I love that. Because, you know, we might be surprised. Our kids really can be experts. And certainly when we get to the topic of technology, sit back and learn. (laughs) That's exactly right. They know so much more than we do. Yeah, I think that kids at this age are so excited to know things that we don't know. That I, My kids are right in that spot right now where I see them all the time. Like, mom, did you know? And they're still a little bit on the younger side of like, I'm so excited to get you to tell you about this dinosaur that you don't know about. But then as I see it with my 12-year-old that I'm busy telling him everything and trying to leave that openness. And it's hard because then he kind of comes at me with like, mom, comma, you idiot, comma. It's not quite as exciting as like learning about the dinosaurs. But I'm trying to like find that heart space to say, okay, let me let him explain what's going on in seventh grade instead of me always wanting to explain it to him because I fundamentally understand it much better than he does. Of course we do. We we know the answers. That's why we're so desperate to share it with them. But right. but our kids deserve the same opportunity that we got to earn that experience right? So if we just feed them all the answers and they were to just accept it, they wouldn't be very rich humans because they wouldn't have had the opportunity to know what heartache feels like or to know the guilt that comes with making someone feel bad for saying something mean on social media. I mean, we would like for our kids not to make these mistakes on the one hand. On the other hand, making mistakes is how you learn to be a better person. So it's hard to watch it happen, but it can be a positive thing in the end. It's really hard. What would you say, Michelle, to a parent who's listening, maybe her relationship with her tween is kind of already off the rails. There's a lot of um, resentment or just like, you don't know anything, mom, you know, these attempts at conversations in the past have not gone that well. And you're going to try something new. How do you suggest that parent approaches having a better, more open relationship? My sense is that that parent represents a whole lot of parents So don't feel that you are alone if that's you. And also 
The good news is that at this age, the middle school age, it's a starting over point anyway. So it's a really natural time to say like, hey, lots of changes going on. And again, with the transparency, you can say, I feel like maybe I haven't been as good as I'd like to be at helping you out and learning about you and supporting you. So, you know, I am often people's scapegoats and I'm happy to be. You can say, I heard this woman on a podcast and she was talking about this or I read this book and I've gotten some different ideas and I'm kind of excited about them. And I just am, I want you to know you can tell me if there are things that you think I'm doing right or wrong. And I want to kind of figure this out with you. And I think for a lot of us, in the same way that this isn't a conversation that's going to happen once, that's not a reset that's going to happen once. I find myself saying to my kids sometimes, okay, we're in a bad mode. We've gone off the rails. I'm screaming and you guys are being pests and we need to all reset. That can happen. It probably should happen fairly often. Like, let's go back to a better place and try this again. I love that. We say the same thing in my family. It's time to hit the reset button. And it's because everybody gets worked up or off track. And that's totally normal. We loved this book. It's 14 Talks by Age 14, The Essential Conversations You Need to Have with Your Kids Before They Start High School. Michelle, tell us where we can find you, where we can find the book, everything about you. You can find me on Instagram. It's just my full name. So it's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. And then Eichert is spelled I-C-A-R-D. So if you search for me on Instagram, I'm there. And then I have a website. Same way. It's just my name. And as always, you can find all of these links on the show page. And we will link to you everywhere because both Amy and I really enjoyed this book. We were even before you even got on, we were like, this was a good one. We're ready to talk about it. Perfect time. That's right. Perfect time for both of us. I'm so happy. I love talking with both of you. Thanks so much for joining us, Michelle. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence 
Whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.